You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Minor League Baseball podcast returns to the uh, iTunes slash... RSS slash Android. So I don't know what other people get things on. I'm I'm an iPhone user, and so I don't know what other people listen to things on. But hey, welcome welcome back to wherever you were listening to uh, the show before the show podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Tyler Mon in New York City. Uh, not this week is Sam Dykstra. Same as same as not in New York City. This is a whole <laughs> it's a whole bungled intro. I don't know the name of Android podcast apps. Sam's not actually in New York. This is the authority people have come to expect from me. Hi Sam. Hi, uh, I would love to find out what New York City not is. That sounds New York like City it. not. Yeah, that just sounds like a place with no buildings taller than a floor. <laughs> um, uh, population density of one person per square mile. This just everything. Bizarro world. New York City is where I'm coming to you from. <laughs> uh, no, Sam is home in Massachusetts. Uh, sister getting we're getting married this weekend. Sam's the officiant. Yeah. Marriage. Marriage. Wings us together <laughs> today. No, she would. I would be killed. I would be. <laughs> You'd wind up in a lake. Yeah, Vegas would have odds on who would kill me first. Uh, my sister would probably be in the lead because she's closest, but my mother is pretty fast. Okay. Could probably get to me pretty quickly if I tried to do the Princess Bride. So you would. You would. Uh, you'd never return to New York, not. Yeah, what, never. Yeah, exactly. Saying. I would not not alive, anyways. Um, not alive. No, the, the focus will be on them. It's it's an exciting weekend. It's an exciting time. I only have one sister, so uh, congratulations early to Em and John, um, which would be a very fun weekend. And uh, but meanwhile, we've got tons of minor league baseball to talk about. Just gotta focus. Stay focused. Stay within yourself. Don't try to do too much. Right. I'm just staying one, one day line at a time. time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, no. that Saturday I can't focus on what's not in my control yet. This is in my control. So. Try to give your wedding a chance. Try to give the wedding a chance. Chance. Right. That's all you can ask for. Yeah, you know? I just want to give the team a win. Really, <laughs> I don't know how you give the wedding a win, but that's what I'm going to do my darndest. Oh man! So with that, a big welcome into this week's edition of the show before the show podcast from minor league baseball milb.com like i said i'm tyler and he is sam this is episode number 66 of the show before the show and let's kick it off getting started with three strikes for this week's episode with uh, some pretty big prospect news as we have come to see really with regularity over the last probably month maybe even six weeks or so last year obviously we talked so much about it being you know kind of prospect christmas every day of the year with studs going up to the big leagues 2016 has started to feel that way maybe not the same caliber or the same depth of that really really top level talent but we're starting to see just really good prospect after really good prospect head to the major leagues the latest is pittsburgh pirates top prospect tyler glass now who is headed to the big leagues to make his major league debut against the cardinals after dominating to start this season with AAA Indianapolis. Yeah, and, and uh, it's, I mean, this is something we have been looking forward to for a couple of years now. It feels like class now is just one of those guys who, you know, since he was drafted in 2011 in the fifth round, um, you know, when he was taking that in with that pick, not really well known, was just a big wiry guy, 6'8", um, coming out of California. Not everybody got to see him uh, just because – yeah, that's just the way it worked out. And um, the Pirates thought they found a guy who was pretty projectable. He took a huge velocity spike as the years went on and has grown into the big-time prospect we know now. Um, has always struck out a lot of guys, 614 strikeouts in 479 and a third innings. Um, so he's always been on our radar as, as a guy who we would get excited when he does get the call, that, and that comes this week. Um, like you said, he's making his debut Thursday, which is – Tonight we're recording this Thursday morning, um, switching up a little bit. This year at AAA Indianapolis, you know he's meeting expectations. He's got a 1.780 ERA, uh, 113 strikeouts in 96 innings, a 1.14 WHIP. Um, the the problem with Glass now is always going to be his control. Um, he hasn't quite been able to put that together. He's got 52 walks in 96 innings this year. Um, there there was a stretch there between June 17th, June. Tw- 22nd, where he did not get it, give up any hits. I mean, this is a guy who can hit the mid-90s, upper 90s when he needs to. Uh, he's just long and gangly. It's very hard to see the ball coming out of his hand. 
so it, he can become downright unhittable at a time. And I've mentioned those two starts because he didn't allow a hit for 13 straight innings. But at the same time, he had walked 11 batters. So it was one of those things where his he didn't allow any hits and he was nearly untouchable. But you know, if you were just patient enough with him, you were going to get on base. And he, his whip was close to one in that instance anyways, despite not, not giving up any hits. <laughs> Yeah, that really is sort of the the most emblematic stretch for him. Um, it shows you both simultaneously how tantalizingly good he can be. I mean, 13 straight innings of hitless ball. But, yeah, you walk 11. And over that span, he struck out 14. So, um, you know, you're throwing a ton of pitches there too. Right. I mean, the, when you don't give up hits, that helps your pitch count. But he was still, you know, 97 pitches through six innings on June 17th. Um, in his last start before this call, he started July 2nd. Uh, the control was a little better there, only gave up the one walk, but still needed 101 pitches to get through six innings. Not bad. You know, it's not 100 pitches through five or anything like that, but it's, you know, when you, you're you hoping that these guys can work deep into games and they're already hitting the century mark in terms of pitches, not necessarily the best uh, barometer there. Uh, but Glass now, he's got major league stuff right now. It's going to be tough for a lot of major league bats to, to hit what he has. Um, it's just he's going to be going up against a lot more patient hitters than even he saw in AAA, and what is going to happen tonight against, you know, in that major league debut, um, you know, are the Cardinals going to? They they will know that scouting report off of him. I mean, it's not that hard to look at a stat sheet and know that this guy walks a lot of batters, um, but are they going to be able to hold back and try to let him beat them in what should be, you know, a, a nervous time for him, but an exciting time. Um, you know, a lot of guys show control problems anyways because it, it is such a nervous first outing. So what is going to happen with him, we'll have to wait and see. And we'll have to see what happens with him going forward as well because the Pirates have two guys on the DL right now and Garrett Cole and Jameson Tyone. Um, and what's going to happen when those guys come back? Is Glass now just going to be sent right back down? Is, is he going to be, get a chance to actually win a major league spot here? Um, or is this just more of a spot start? We don't have a clear answer on that. Uh, the fact that Super 2 concerns, all that kind of stuff, arbitration contracts, all that is kind of by the wayside now. That probably shouldn't play a part into it. It's just straight up. Uh, can Tyler Glass now get major league hitters out with regularity? And we'll start to see uh, that tonight. Starting strong will be a big thing for Tyler Glasnow in his 17 starts this season, an ERA in the first inning of 3.18, which is his highest of any inning outside of the sixth. He's only pitched the sixth inning um, for nine and a third total sixth innings, and that's a 3.86 mark there. But um, starting strong, obviously a very big thing. He's given up six runs on 12 hits and 17 first innings so far this season. But he also has his best strikeout-to-walk ratio uh, in that stretch as well. He struck out 24 batters, and he has walked six in his total numbers there so uh exciting time if you're the pirates all this young talent for uh for the pitching prospects seems to be arriving all simultaneously with Jamison tyone and um you know we've seen the success that even some of the the more um less heralded guys more less heralded the less heralded guys um you know chad cool comes up uh stephen brault we've seen wilfredo boscan got a start i mean that indianapolis rotation that has been so good this year those guys are finally starting to graduate and uh and see their time in pittsburgh for a team that has really started to play a lot better as of the last couple of weeks um, strike two this week. We're going to head away from the mainland and to the international market. July 2, the signing uh, day in international prospect communities. The the international signing deadline uh, or the first day of the signing period for international prospects is always full of very intense speculation because most guys lean somewhere. It's almost like college recruiting. You sort of know where guys are going to land, but there are oftentimes some surprises. This year, the guy that everybody was focused on Venezuelan shortstop Kevin Maiton. He is the one that you really want to keep an eye on from this class who inks a deal with the Atlanta Braves. But Sam, what stood out to you about uh, the international signing day? Yeah, so Maiton, I think, is the, is the story here. Um, everything you read about him is it just, you know, oozes talent uh he's, he's got tools up the wazoo um mlb.com ranked him as their top international prospect um gave him plus grades for his hit his power his arm and he consider him an average fielder at shortstop which you know if you if you can have a lot of power and hit pretty well for a shortstop 
with a good arm, you're going to get a lot of value out of that. Um, not necessarily a, a big burner. He got a 40 rate on the 20 to 80 scale for his running. But you know, the things you hear about him, a lot of people say he's the best international signing since, or best international prospect, I should say, since Miguel Sano. And we know how much he was bandied about when he was going through this process, um, you know, as part of a documentary and that whole, uh, you know, um, how much that his trip through this whole thing was illuminated through that. So Maiton, I think, is the class. Um, he's a switch hitter. Like I said, shortstop out of Venezuela, only 16 years old because that's, you know, he's now eligible. By the way, we're, we're now hitting the time when uh, international prospects were born in 2000. Ah! Thank you. Yeah, it. that was that was the reaction. I knew it was coming needed. this year. Yeah, so we're gonna start covering some minor leaguers who were born in 2000. Which <laughs> we need the Conan Brian, Conan O'Brien bit. The in 2000. Yeah, we're just gonna do that every time we mention these guys now. Kevin <laughs> um, Watson born February 12th, 2000. Yeah. So uh, everybody take that one in. Um, but that aside. Uh, that aside, it's interesting that he signed with the Braves um, because they obviously have two really good shortstops. Yeah. Sells right now and Dansby Swanson and Ozzy Alves. Really lacking, really lacking in that top flight prospect talent, uh, yeah. the shortstop position of the Braves system. Right. And it's not like you can say, oh, well, those guys are further along. I mean, obviously they are. They're both at AA Mississippi now. They're playing together. Um, I don't know if we talked about that on the podcast. Now Albies looks like he's going to be the guy who's at second. Swanson's going to be the, the guy at short. They really want that AA tandem playing together moving ahead but uh albies is still a teenager himself so uh, this is not like they needed a, a youth thing at the bottom that being said you never draft you never sign uh when it comes to prospects or, or you know young guys you never do that based on what the organizational depth chart looks like you you go out and get talent and you know if, best case scenario you have too much at one position and they all just become assets for trades or you move guys around um with my there's talk that it like I mentioned, he's not the greatest runner, so he's not going to have the, the best range necessarily for a shortstop guy. Uh, he's six foot two. He's a, a little bit on the taller side. Um, could certainly fill out a little bit. He only weighs 165. So he might profile best at third base. So if you're the Braves now, you can dream on a future infield that includes Ozzy Albies, Danzy Swanson, and Kevin Maiton easily, and everybody would be playing at a position that they can play well. Um, so we'll see how that goes going forward but they're definitely gonna try to get as much out of they as they can out of him as a shortstop because if he like i said if he is a good hitter with a good amount of power that at shortstop that's when we're talking about you know top 10 overall players in the game so um he's he's definitely the one to watch but um definitely recommend checking out mlb.com has a lot of coverage on these international prospects these aren't guys necessarily in our peer review quite yet but once they hit the minors i'm sure we'll be talking about a lot of them in the years to come Jesse Sanchez of MLB.com um, has a really good story, as Sam mentioned, from last week that is up on the site right now. Uh, the Oakland Athletics inked the Cuban player uh, Lazaro Lazarito, Armenteros Lazarito is his nickname. Uh, he's a potential five-tool guy, according to Jesse Sanchez. The San Diego Padres went really strong and heavily into the international market this year, which is a big step for the Padres because that's where A.J. Preller made his bones. A.J. Preller, when he was with the Rangers, he was a phenom in that regard discovering gems diamonds of talent in the international market then goes to san diego blows up that whole roster trades for everybody deals away so much of the system and now it seems like that's kind of swinging back to we have to build this from within padres go out they signed six of mlb pipelines top 30 prospects on the international market um and so that's one thing to keep an eye on too if that's sort of a change in the organizational philosophy for San Diego back to what they really do successfully or what that administration has done successfully at past stops. Uh, and there is also one other story that comes out of this that we should discuss. The Boston Red Sox last week were handed some pretty well uh, unprecedented slaps on the wrist for their prior uh, conduct in the international signing market. They were banned from signing any international players during this 2016-2017 signing period and uh, also had five players taken out of the system and declared free agents, which were 17-year-old outfielders Albert Guamero and Simon Muziotti. 
Guimero last year, one of the really, really good prospects. He was uh, one of the guys who was sent out of the system. Um, a couple of shortstops, Antonio Pinheiro and Eduardo Torrealba, and right-handed pitcher Cesar Gonzalez. All of those guys become free agents. They all signed with the Red Sox last year, but the reason for this the commissioner's office said that the Red Sox had uh, worked in a way that circumvented the bonus pools by signing these guys as kind of a group deal, a package deal, quote-unquote, which is against the rules. So the Red Sox, I mean, this is a pretty unprecedented slap uh, to the, the signing process for a team, especially, I mean, it's one thing to take five guys, declare them free agents, and boot them out of a system, but banning the team from signing anybody in this period is pretty huge. Yeah, and, and the way I kind of understand this story, um, it sounds, I think somebody, I wish I knew who it was exactly. I, I don't want to um, take credit where it's not due, but uh, somebody described it as essentially they got caught speeding. You know, every, everybody speeds. Everybody did this to some extent, but either the Red Sox weren't careful in covering it up or – Major League Baseball decided they were going to get very stringent on this. And you kind of touched on it, but just to go on it a little deeper, essentially what they did was what, back when they signed Yohan Mankata, they went over their signing bonus by a specific amount. You know, they had to pay an extra tax on top of that. And another penalty of that was that they could not sign an international prospect for more than $300,000, which sounds like a lot of money, especially for these guys coming from some of these areas. But um, you know, when some of these guys are signing for $4 million, $5 million, that, that can seriously hurt you from getting a top 30 prospect. So the way some teams, particularly in this case the Red Sox, go around that is that they sign multiple players, um, each to $300,000 deals. That way they don't go above the penalty. But in order to get the one gem of the group, they agree to this deal where you know, so let's say three guys get 300000 each. Well, one guy might get 800000 of that, and the other two split the remaining one hundred. Um, technically, everybody was only given 300000 but one player gets more than he needed. It's probably more than he would have gotten through other clubs who could sign him for more than $300,000. Anyways, it, it's illegal under uh, Major League Baseball rules. The Red Sox didn't cover it up well enough, or they, they got caught red-handed doing this with everybody else. No, I shouldn't say everybody else, but what a, a lot of teams are rumored to do, um, and this is just a case of Major League Baseball bringing down the hammer. Uh, I, I would think it would scare away teams from doing this ever again. I mean, you don't want to go an entire year without signing international prospects. I mean, that can seriously hurt a farm system. Um, not that the Red Sox farm system is particularly weak right now, but you know, we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on this, see how it affects it two years, three years down the line. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a pretty serious case of Major League Baseball bringing down the hammer. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what it, what it does for the Red Sox. Strike three this week. We are going futures game conversation. We're going to have a lot more futures game conversation here in a little bit. But um, Sam has a really good tool shed piece, as they always are, up on the site right now, comparing kind of the strengths of each roster, the world team and the U.S. team, in this weekend's matchup at Petco Park Sunday evening. This is going to be a really, really fun one to watch. There's a lot of really good uh, talent. The, the rosters seem like they're constructed very evenly. It's not, uh, you know, we talked about some of the groups, the position player groups that stand out to us, but they seem like very evenly matched rosters. Um, but what sticks out to you about the world and the U.S. teams on these sides for uh, for Sunday's game, Sam? Yeah, so if anybody has read the, the piece yet, I did a tale of the tape type situation um, where I just compared, you know, the pitchers from the world to the pitchers of the U.S., catchers of the world and so on, infielders, outfielders. Um, and if you look at it, you might notice that I picked, you know, the, the U.S. has the advantage in three groups. They have the advantage in pitchers, infielders, and outfielders. And I think the world only has the advantage in catchers. That being said, I think you're right, Tyler, in saying that the, the rosters are fairly close. I mean, it, it, this is not a chance, an opportunity for the U.S. to just blow out the world. Um, you know, I don't think it's as far apart as it would make it seem just to say it's three groups on one side to the only the one on the other. Um, but I, I do think the U.S. has a, a little bit of an advantage. I think that outfield is just really incredibly stacked. I think I said that last week, but just to reiterate that, um, you know, for a, t a group that lost Austin Meadows, who might be the top outfield prospect in the game right now, uh, lost him to injury. They replace him with David Dahl, who is just crushing the ball right now after a production or a 
the promotion to AAA Albuquerque in the Rocky system, I mean, that, that outfield got just as strong as it was. It, it didn't take a step back. And by the way, he has inspired maybe the best hashtag in all of minor league baseball this year. Uh, an Albuquerque TV reporter, I believe, came up with Better Call Doll. Oh, but he's man. in Albuquerque, which is fantastic. Oh, wow. Nice work. Uh, that, that's one of those that just makes you sad you didn't come up with it first. Yeah, I know. Uh, really good. I, I just imagine everybody in Albuquerque, though, is always running just Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad puns through their heads. Yeah, yeah, all the time. Either that or they just loathe them intensely. Oh, that too. Oh, yeah, we get it. Yeah. You know, we do other things than meth here. What? Uh, <laughs> but no, the, the, just look, I mean, the world team has, for a, a team that's going to roll out, you know, just for one game, um, the fact that they're going to start Gary Sanchez, probably a catcher, and then bring in Francisco Mejia, who's one of the minors' hottest hitters right now in the Indian system, and a guy with a plus arm. Um, I, I would be surprised if the U.S. team even tries to run on either of those guys. Um, both have plus to plus plus arms behind the plate uh and i i hope they do i i say i i'd be surprised but i really hope they do run on the catchers because that would be a great little clip to see um and then the infield is really talented as well willie adamas is going there uh carlos Oswahe, uh will be playing in front of his own padres fans is hitting the ball really well at triple a el paso we'll get a chance to see you on mancada on a, i think his first national stage in that kind of thing so um, you know, to, to say that the U.S. has an a distinct advantage is probably a little um, misleading, but I do like the arms that they can roll out. I think they can just roll out five different top 100 prospects uh, between Carson Fulmer, Amir Garrett, Josh Hader, Jeff Hoffman, and Joe Musgrove. That's your first five innings, and then you just throw out somebody like J.T. Chargois, who uh, can hit triple digits, and it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I think I think the U.S. has a little bit of an advantage here, just not as big as it might look on paper. So, futures game coming up on Sunday, which is going to be a ton of fun. Um, I'm ordinarily working during the futures game, but this year I am not, so I'm excited to actually sit and watch a futures game because um, man, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of really fun talent on those rosters, and uh, yeah, like Sam said, I mean there are advantages on each side, uh, but they're not just sizable. You know, it isn't lining up to be. Oh man, look at this world roster compared with this U.S. roster. It looks like it's a pretty evenly matched uh, uh, showcase we got coming up at Petco Park, and that is going to be a lot of fun to watch on Sunday. So, with that. Let's talk a little bit more about the Futures game. Uh, this week's showcase features so many of the top prospects in baseball in kind of a different style format than how you ordinarily watch baseball players because of the all-star status of this game. So we're going to talk about these guys in more of a direct prospect scenario of who we would want if we were starting a club with members of these rosters. Talking a little bit more about the Futures game on this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast coming up next. Watch the stars of tomorrow today on MILB-TV. Before they made it to the show, stars like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and Chris Bryant were on MILB-TV. Subscribe today to get more than 5,000 minor league games streamed live and on demand, including games from affiliates of all 30 major league clubs. Select all-star and postseason games are also included. On the go? Watch on your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch with the free MILB First Pitch app. Visit MILB.TV for details. We got a chance to do something like this back in the uh, in the autumn when the Arizona Fall League was in progress, and we talked about who we would want to build teams around if we were starting franchises with prospects who were in the Arizona Fall League. We're going to take that principle, and we're going to apply it to the 2016 Futures game, which, again, is coming up this Sunday at Petco Park, the site of the 2016 Major League Baseball All-Star game. Uh, so here's how we're going to do it. Three picks each, one from the world, one from the United States, and one wild card pick that we'll get to pick from either roster. Uh, and, Sam, I think I went first with the AFL draft in the fall, so I'm going to let you take the top overall selection in our uh, our three-man baseball teams here. Oh, wow. I, I feel so blessed now. Um, no. I'll, I'll give you the first pick of the second round. How about okay. that? We'll, we'll snake right. this. So it's, We'll snake this pick. Yeah. All three of these picks, this isn't going to go for too long. Um, but yeah, whenever we're talking about building a franchise, building a farm system, you always want to build up the middle. Um, so, you know what? I, this might be going a little against the grain, given, given how 
the one of the other guys at this position has performed this year. But I'm actually gonna I'm gonna take friend of the podcast Dansby Swanson. Okay. With the first overall pick, um, just because I'm I am convinced he can stick at shortstop. I think he's certainly shown that he's he's got a plus run tool. He can certainly hit. He's hitting 291, 378. 452 this year between um, high A and double A Mississippi. Um, six homers, 10 steals. Uh, this guy seems like just a cornerstone of your franchise. Um, if he can stick it short, he seems to have all, I don't want to call them intangibles because that just sounds like a way of, um, you know, circumnavigating facts and just saying, I, I feel good about this. But no, Swanson, everything you hear about him, um, you know, he's a guy that brings everybody up around him. Uh, certainly has shown the skills to stick at shortstop both uh, both defensively and then hit enough to bring plenty of value offensively. Uh, I, I say I said I'm going up against the grain a little bit because it was either between him or Alex Bregman, and we know Alex Bregman is is the breakout star. I think of the 2016 season, a guy who was taken one pick later than Swanson in last year's draft. The reason I I don't quite take Bregman is just because. It seems like his future might be at third. Um, part of that is because Carlos Correa is playing there at shortstop now for the Astros, and they might move Bregman to third. Um, and he, he could probably hit enough for either position, but I, I'm more convinced that Swanson can be a shortstop long-term. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's my first pick. I like it. Dansby Swanson currently with the double-A Mississippi Braves. I'm going to stay with the double-A prospect, and I'm going to stay in the middle of the infield on the other side, and I'm going to go with Yohan Moncada in the Boston Red Sox system, who has just torn it up this season. 61 games with Class A advanced Salem, the OPS 923, promoted to double-A Portland in there. 14 games so far, he's OPSing 908. Um, Moncada's the real deal. I mean, we've talked about him so much on the show, but to me, even though, you know, he doesn't play uh, the shortstop position, he's still a premium middle infield guy that I feel like you can build around. Uh, and one of those prospects that it just seems like our time with him in the minor leagues is going to be very limited because he's handled every level that he's been challenged with so well. He's 21 years old right now in the Eastern League, uh, and just the the continual ability to adjust so quickly to the challenges that he faces uh, in getting acclimated to, you know, being in full season ball for the first time, transitioning to playing in the United States for the first time, being a Cuban prospect. He is so good. He is that good. So I'm going to go with Mankata, Um and that gives me uh, the second overall selection. So I'm going to go over to the, uh, the U.S. side. And uh, the one thing that we've discussed so much about um, this season is where we believe pitching prospects will be most successful and uh you know because so many of these guys josh Hader's a good example who's on the united states roster Hader, so many people believe is ticketed for the bullpen but he's been so successful as a starting pitcher uh one of the other guys who fits in an organization who i'm going to take with my second pick is carson fulmer because i really like the ceiling that carson fulmer has and we have seen that the chicago white sox are not afraid to bring him to to challenge guys with these quick promotions through the system who come out of big college programs they did it with chris sale carlos rodon rose very quickly through the system i really like carson fulmer this season uh the lakeland florida native who is still just 22 years old and again seems like we've been talking about carson fulmer uh for quite some time this season what we've seen from him has been uh very much a i don't want to say a mixed bag but he has looked like a guy learning the double-A ranks for the first time. And I don't think that that is a knock on Carson Fulmer, especially with the way that he has pitched as of late. But in total this year, a 4-9 record, 4.76 ERA. But it still just seems like to me he has the package. It's just about being able to get everything pieced together in the way that you handle full season ball, the way that you handle advanced hitters, all that kind of stuff. I don't know if he's going to rise as quickly as the other guys through the system. I mean, obviously not as quickly as Chris Sale, um, which nobody does. But uh, I really, really like what Carson Fulmer still has and the the package that he presents going forward. So I'm going to make him my pick off, uh, off of the U.S. side because I had to get a pitcher too. Yeah, and actually I'm going to stay in pitching. I'm going to go over to the world side just so we, we have this evened out. Um, he was probably going to be my second overall pick anyways unless Mankata was still on the board and of course Tyler snatched him from me because that's how these things work that's me yeah that's that's how you know we didn't coordinate this beforehand because now I'm angry I don't have you on Mankata but so it goes um my second pick here from the world roster is going to be Alex Reyes 
of the, the Cardinals organization. A guy who this season, kind of like Fulmer, has been a little uneven. Uh, he gets the aggressive push to AAA Memphis. Uh, he's, he's coming off. He had a 50-game drug of abuse suspension to start the season, so didn't get his start until May 22nd. Um, is finding himself a little bit, but this is just a guy who has two plus-plus pitches in his fastball and his curveball. Uh, curveball might be a little bit behind the fastball, but either one could probably get Major League bats out right now if we were going to send him to the majors. Uh, he's looking like he's improving a little bit in his last start. He had nine strikeouts in six and two-thirds innings, only gave up one run on three hits and two walks. Uh, has struggled a little bit with control this year. We were talking earlier about glass now. Uh, Reyes also fits into that mold of guy with just crazy wild stuff, but can be wild at times. He's walked 20 batters in 41 in the third inning. Um, but to have him in my system, he's only 21, uh, not turning 22 until the end of August. So he's a 21-year-old right now in in AAA who is finding some some success uh, there. You know, I, I think he could be a help to the Cardinals if they want him out of the bullpen in September. Um, you know, I, I, I'm obviously taking him here, thinking he's going to be a starter. I think everybody believes he he can be a starter, um, but he he could fit that like Carlos Martinez role of just a guy who they bring in first as a reliever, let him show an electric stuff, and then bring him back into a starting gig. Um, but yeah, Reyes just has the stuff that when you're watching on MILB TV or better in person or this Sunday at the Futures game, will definitely wow you with some of the swings and misses he's going to get or just the frustrated shaking of the heads going back. Um, I'm not too worried given his youth, the way he's performed to AAA right now, and given that it is a relatively small sample, it's only nine starts, 41 and third innings. Um, so let him find himself. Um, but between Swanson and Reyes, we have two really good cornerstones, I think, in my my dream farm system that I'm making here. So that that's my second pick. Um, if we're snaking this, then that means I get the third wild card, right? That's how that's going to work. Yep. Okay, so I'm going to go back to the outfield, but I'm actually going to stay in the – you know what? I'm, I'm talking my way through this. I, I'm going to the outfield, and I'm trying – I'm going to talk my way which one I want. Um, I, I either – I'm thinking about either David Dahl with the U.S. roster or Manuel Margot with the okay. world roster um, just because I really like – you know, guys who can stick in center field, guys who are athletic, can do a lot of things. I'm going to go with Margot. Um, I'm going to leave. You know, maybe Dahl does not stay on the board. We're only doing three rounds. So in my in the dream fourth, maybe I take him in the fourth. But Margot, I really like him. He's coming over to the Padres in his first season there after coming over from the Red Sox in the uh, Craig Kimbrell trade. A guy who has plus speed, uh, 23 seals this year at AAA El Paso. Uh, again, another young guy. He's 21, not turning 22 until September 28th. Um, is certainly holding his own. He's hitting 298 in the PCL uh, with a 770 OPS. Um, you know, when you read his scouting reports, everybody talks about how he that speed translates well into center. Can certainly cover a lot of ground out there. Has um, showed a, a decent amount of pop. He's got four homers, eight triples, which is on the high side. Again, that speed playing into it. He's got gap to gap power. Um, you know, when you when you talk about building a team, I, I would build up the middle. So right now I've got a shortstop, a right-handed pitcher, and a center fielder, and I think that's the type of cornerstones on which good farm systems are made. So I, I'm pretty happy there. With I'm going to round it out with Danzy Swanson, Alex Reyes, and Manuel Margot. I like it. It's a solid group. Um, we're going wild cards, and I'm going to go with a wild card. You know, build up the middle. Got to get the the athletic guys that can play in center. No, Sam, my team needs a bopper. <laughs> put butts in the seats. Tyler O'Neill and Seattle Mariners go do nothing but go. demolish baseballs from Maple Ridge, British Columbia, the hometown of my favorite baseball player of all time, Larry Walker. Uh, Tyler O'Neill. I'm going with Tyler O'Neill this season. The Mariners prospect so far. Double A uh, Jackson in the Southern League, slashing 303, 369, 532, 15 homers, 63 runs batted in. One of our favorite guys to talk to. I really like Tyler O'Neill. He is a power prospect who's going to strike out a lot, but it's not to the extent of a lot of other power prospects. 79 games this year, he struck out 85 times. Um, I love watching Tyler O'Neill hit. 
and the maturity, the the mental approach that he brings as a power guy, I feel like is more advanced than a lot of times what we see from guys who can smash dingers 975 feet. Um, I don't know what that is in meters for our Canadian audience, but uh, I'm going to go back on the world roster and take Tyler O'Neill. we got to put butts in the seats, man. Yeah, see, there People you love go. the long ball. People, people do love the long ball, and they do love it if they have to bring out, bust out their uh, the metric system and try to figure yeah. it out. It, I think it meters on the wall, right? Yeah, I think it's uh, when you were trying to do the calculation, I think it comes out to just several meters. It's just several meters, several meters, a many, handful of meters. Yeah, many, many meters, not kilometers, perhaps, but many E T R E S. Meters, meters. So there we have it. Futures game is coming up on Sunday at Petco Park in San Diego. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, there is. Not much that compares on the prospect calendar uh, in nerdery to how much the Futures game brings, uh, the excitement level of the Futures game, getting to see all those guys in one place at one time. And they get to wear some pretty sweet throwback-looking Padres duds. Oh, yeah. Those, like the, is it the brown and yellow? Yeah, they're going with the Bring brown back and the brown and yellow. Yeah, Forever exactly. and always. Own it, San Diego. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Uh, Futures game coming up on Sunday. And uh, that does it for uh, our second sort of fantasy draft. Uh, we might make this a regular thing. The AFL to rousing success, obviously. And this one now doing it for the Futures team. When we return, Benjamin Hill is back from his road trip through the Appalachian League. And we're going to discuss with Ben all things uh, of the rookie level circuit as tour through West Virginia and Virginia and Tennessee and all those Appy League states. And uh, we'll talk about what's coming up for Benjamin Hill, both on the site and in his next road trip. Ben joins the show next. <laughs> Geographic dynamic this week for our conversation with Benjamin Hill, who is back at home and back in the uh, MILB.com offices, the headquarters, the uh, the shining house on the hill, as we call it. But Sam and I, neither of us are there. Hey, Ben. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Welcome back. We, I guess I can welcome you back. I, you know, I haven't seen you and I'm not there, but you're holding down the fort for us today being back in New York. Yeah, no, I feel very welcomed. Um, yeah, I got back from my uh, last trip, uh, the entire tour of the Appalachian League on July. Got back on July 5th and uh, back in the offices today and uh, resuming normal operations till the next trip. The Appalachian League, which as we learned last week is not the Appalachian League, it's the Appalachian League, and you got to tour a lot through the East Division. You did all 10 teams in 10 days in that league, uh, which is something that you had not attempted before, but the, the Appy League was kind of a – a relatively small footprint, so you got to trek all the way throughout the entire circuit. And uh, since the last time we talked to you, I know you visited Burlington, uh, took a swing through Danville, um, Pulaski. What are some of the uh, the highlights that stuck out since our last conversation with you? Um, where were you last time? Not at a rest stop. That was when we talked to you last year at one point. But on the road where we caught up with you uh, in a rental car, I think. Yeah, well, the last week I was uh, – because the Appy League is – the, the teams are in such close proximity. I did the whole first half of the trip in Johnson City, staying in Johnson City as my base, and then kind of commuting to all the teams in the West Division. And then the second half of the trip was a little more driving. Um, I spent two nights in Bluefield, seeing Bluefield in Princeton, and then one night in Pulaski, and then one night in Danville, and then one night in an airport hotel after seeing the uh, Burlington Royals and then back home. So there's a little more movement in the, in the uh, East Division than it was in the West. But it's still, I, I did this whole trip, 10 teams in 10 days, on two tanks of gas, done, period, which is not bad for seeing going to 10 ballparks and, and doing it uh, on two tanks of gas. So not too much driving, a league in which a lot of the teams are very close to one another. And, um, yeah, since we talked last week, I saw the whole East Division. Um, I really like Bluefield, the Bluefield Blue Jays. They play in Bowen Field, um, a really old ballpark uh, on, like, uh, public – uh, park property with a beautiful wooded backdrop, uh, a lot of interesting characters in the stands. And uh, that was one that that's one of the things I always try to emphasize on these trips is you, you might have an idea of what a place is like, but often it's not until you go that you really get that true sense of like, oh, this is what that is. And Bluefield was definitely one of my highlights and one I wasn't necessarily expecting to be so, uh, so great. And then uh, the night after that, I saw the Pulaski Yankees and they play in Calfee Park, which goes back. Um, it's a WPA um, ballpark, you know, built in the wake of the Great Depression and uh, had really fallen on hard times owned by the city. Um, the team was in danger of losing – the city was in danger of losing the teams. And a local businessman, uh, Mark Hagan, 
who owns uh, uh, some automobile dealerships, he came in, he bought the park from the city, put in a lot of money in upgrades, and they went from possibly the weakest and uh, most decrepit operation in the league to now uh, leading the league in attendance. I mean, they have a new video board, and new clubhouses, and tons of improvements, and uh, the, the beautiful ballpark. The too, right? It is, it is, um, which is kind of nice, you know. I completely understand the 21st century minor league baseball dynamic, and if you're going to have a new ballpark, you need that new video board. You need something to keep the game, the fans engaged in this uh, ADD era. But it's kind of nice going to these small-town rookie-level environments and, you know, maybe being a little more muted on the between-inning promotions, maybe being a little calmer with, you know, video boards and the audio blasts and all that. But it's also good to see teams who are able to adapt and change and even within their uh, old ballparks, you know, bring a more modern feel and, uh, you know, keep the team and keep the uh, experience vibrant. And that was one of my favorite things about the Appy League is the teams that uh, were able to incorporate their very old surroundings with elements of the new and thereby, you know, trying to uh, achieve a best of both world status, which I think a couple of those teams are doing really well. Uh, Pulaski for sure. Burlington Royals as well. Um, just a real interesting place to be. And, and when you're talking about Pulaski, it, is it just a, a scoreboard? I mean, what, is, what kind of improvements have they done to that park? Um, when you're saying, you know, it's a depression era park, what have they done to really change that attendance? Is it community relations? I mean, what was your sense of it when you got to visit that that's bringing people there in droves when that wasn't the case before? Well, certainly an increased marketing effort, you know, kind of goes hand in hand with the ballpark improvements. Um, their general manager, Blair Hoke, I believe that's how you pronounce her last name, but she's doing a great job and uh, they have a very engaged and energetic, energetic staff. Um, so obviously increased marketing, but the increased marketing goes hand in hand with um, with all the improvements they made. So yes, there's the video board, uh, you know, there's new seating behind uh, home plate and down the first baseline, uh, new seats almost everywhere. But because it's a historic facility, they also had to obey a lot of, you know, the pretty strict rules regarding uh, renovating a historic landmark. So the uh, third base side, which has a covered grandstand, they couldn't touch the grandstand itself. And uh, the entrance down the third base side, out on the left field side, is stone, and it looks like you're entering like a Civil War fort or something like that, and that remains. Um, but with the new, uh, a lot of new seating, revamped concessions, uh, new clubhouses, it's definitely the nicest clubhouses and some of the best player amenities in uh, in the Appy League. And uh, it's really impressive to see that, that mix of old and new, and really cool to see a local guy, um, you know, who's been successful in the automobile industry, uh, you know, really put his money where his mouth is, and restore baseball to Pulaski when it's really likely they would have lost it if they just continued to be run on a shoestring by the city. Ben, you mentioned that you were uh, stationed in Johnson City for the first leg of this trip, and you had a really cool story that came out of Johnson City um, with the 18-year-old radio voice of the Johnson City Cardinals, Joey Liebertor. And Joey's story is really neat um, in the way that he got into really knowing how to knowledgeably talk baseball, um, which is through a relationship with his father. But basically, long story short, played high school uh, baseball, tore his UCL, rehabbed that injury, tore it again, decided, eh, maybe I just shouldn't play baseball. And now he's 18 years old and a broadcaster. Tell us about Joey. Yeah, he was a great guy to meet. Um, you know, I, I try to go into each ballpark thinking of story ideas, but sometimes they just sort of happen when I'm at the ballpark. And when I was in Johnson City, that was unfortunately my one rainout of the entire trip, uh, seeing the Johnson City Cardinals. But, of course, I was just going to hang out as much as I could anyway, and I was in the press box and struck up a conversation with Joey. And he looked like a young guy, but at the same time, everyone's young in the Appy League for the most part, at least the players, broadcasters, and most of the front office staff. So I didn't think too much of it, but he mentioned he's 18, and I, would, I just I started the wheels turning in my head. I was like, man, 18, and this kid seems pretty, uh, you know, pretty uh, self-possessed and uh, knowledgeable and confident. And I can't think of a younger guy, you know, broadcasting for a professional team, um, graduating high school and then going right to affiliated minor league baseball. So you know, he. he yeah, as he said, he uh, hung up the cleats at age 15 and went right into broadcasting and attended a uh, broadcasting school. And for his junior and senior years of high school, he spent half his day at the broadcasting school, got a lot of experience through uh, engineering spring training games, 
Um, that led to work with the Tennessee Smokies, the Tennessee Smokies, their ownership group manages the Johnson City Cardinals. That led to this connection. And I'm like, here this kid is at 18, um, really uh, achieving beyond his years. And, you know, it's a long way to the major leagues. But you see a kid like that accomplishing this much by age 18. And it's uh, really makes you pause because you're like, man, if he's only 18 now, just think where he has the potential to be at still a young age, at 25, at 29, at 33. It's uh, pretty cool to talk to him and uh, see that level of achievement. And just so I get this right, he's not even from, like, the Johnson City area because I remember when I first heard about him, I thought it was just a local kid that, you know, happened to apply to the job, you know, lives around the corner, gets dropped off by his mom, something like that. But he's from Mesa, Arizona area, right? So this is not some, this yeah. is something he had to go out and travel to. Yeah, he's an Arizona guy, and um, through doing, he, he got to know uh, Kevin Saggy, the uh, communications uh, director for the Chicago Cubs, and he, uh, in that way, he got in touch with Len Casper and Mick Gillespie, who do the uh, Cubs spring training broadcast, and that, that kind of got him into the baseball world. Yeah, so he got into the world of baseball through connections with the Cubs, and, you know, Len Casper and Mick Gillespie, the other season with the uh, Tennessee Smokies, were... Um, you know, big influences on him and uh, helped him get work with the Smokies. And then, then that led to Johnson City. So, I mean, he's gone from you know, Arizona to Tennessee, now uh, in Johnson City and uh, all at the age of 18. Really cool story. Uh, Joey got into his knowledge about baseball. His father was a long-distance truck driver. They would really just connect over phone calls, and this is one of my favorite quotes ever. He said, quote, I didn't want to have a dud conversation with him, so I would go into depth on starting lineup stats and stuff like that, and that's where my passion for baseball really began. Um, it's so neat how people get into it. Everybody's got a story, and, and Joey's is really cool. Go check out Ben's piece on him. That's up on the site right now at MILB.com. Um, right now, Ben is off of the road for uh, the month of July, but the first day in August you're taking off for the West Coast uh, to visit the Sacramento Rivercats. And there's a good mix coming up in that trip out West. You're going to see some AAA ball, some high A ball. Uh, you'll see some uh, short season class A ball with the Boise Hawks coming up on that trip. A lot coming up on that trip through, uh, through the West Swing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. It's kind of an awkward itinerary, but I'm getting to the point now where I'm getting close to having visited all the ballparks. So uh, last year I didn't make it west of Omaha, and I was like, well, I got to make it west this year. And if I'm going to go all the way west, I really want to make sure I hit teams that I've missed in the past. So kind of hitting some Northern California teams that I haven't been to, Sacramento and San Jose, and that gives me a chance to revisit Modesto, Visalia, Stockton. Uh, then in Nevada, because I've still never seen uh, Las Vegas 51s, I can hit Reno again, who I did go to once, but it was a rainout. And then I will finally complete the Northwest League with uh, Boise and Spokane and uh, Tri-Cities, and uh, then I will bend every Northwest League team. So it's going to be a lot of driving, and it's kind of an awkward itinerary, but I think it's going to be a pretty varied landscape in terms of uh, – the places, the ballparks, the people, the level of play. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. But in the meantime, I've got three and a half weeks or so back here in the office and going to be writing a lot about the Appy League throughout pretty much all that time, uh, as well as the usual MILB shenanigans. And, uh, and hey, I need a place to live. I need an apartment. So if anyone has any New York yeah, City apartment, apartment leads, get in touch. Uh, it's going, but not, nothing yet. So uh, if uh, <laughs> any, any listeners of the podcast want to hook up a uh, – minor league baseball writer a esteemed minor league baseball writer with a uh, any any real estate leads uh, i'd appreciate it it's tough in this city but it gets in my blood i can't leave it at least not yet one with much critical acclaim he is benjamin hill if you have uh, questions about the road trip or the business of minor league baseball or anything else and also real estate leads you can get in touch with ben on twitter he's at ben's biz and you can check out the blog which is bensbiz.mlblogs.com more stuff coming to the site from this trip and more and uh, ben enjoy a few weeks away and we'll talk to you next week yeah, will do. Good talking to you guys. Sam, congratulations to your sister getting married. And, uh, yeah, hopefully one day we'll all be in the same room. It'll be uh, magical. Yeah, it always is. It always is. Sam's sister's getting married. We got the Futures game coming up. It's a whole hell of a weekend for all of us with the Minor League Baseball podcast, the show before the show, and we are getting set to wrap up. Sam, what do you got, Milb TV, this week? Yeah, so normally I, I do try to tell people, you know, this is the game I'll be watching, and I, I don't want to lie to everybody and say this is the game I'll be because I'm just going to be so busy this weekend and stuff. But um, Dayton, the Dayton Dragons are taking on uh, Great Lakes this weekend, which means the games are on 
Mill TV they are for your viewing pleasure. And the reason I bring that up is because the Reds Class A affiliate now has Nick Senzel, who was the uh, second overall pick in this year's draft. Um, Senzel got called up to Dayton after 10, spending 10 games at Billings. A lot of people thought he was probably the safest pick in this year's draft coming out of the University of Tennessee. Uh, we talk a lot about with these draft picks, how they perform uh, in the Cape Cod League. He was actually the Cape Cod League MVP last summer. Um, coming into the, this year, showed a, a good hitting ability, some decent pop at third base uh, for the Volunteers. Got taken with a second overall pick with the Reds. A uh, decent chance he could become the system's top prospect when uh, rankings are updated later this, this summer. Um, so he, in his first five games with Dayton, he's gone seven for 22. That's a 318 batting average with four doubles um, and five runs scored in five games. So he has performed well. I'm starting to find himself back with a wood bat this year. Uh, if you're a Reds fan, this is a really good chance to see uh, the new big guy in the system. And, um, yeah, so his Dayton Dragons will be taking on Great Lakes this weekend. You get a couple of opportunities to see Nick Senzel um, on your uh, whatever device you watch Mill TV on. I'm going to go a few steps up the ladder in this one. you got to get uh, you got to get to Milb TV quickly because it starts this evening at 8.05 p.m. Eastern time. But this pick was inspired by a tweet from friend of the podcast, Alex Friedman, the radio voice of the Oklahoma City Dodgers, who said five days ago, quote, this team has had Urias de Leon and Stewart, referring, of course, to Julio Urias, Jose de Leon, and Brock Stewart. But, continuing the tweet, when Cotton is on, he might be the most fun to watch. And that's a conversation about Jarrell Cotton, the St. Thomas Virgin Islands native, who last time out was outstanding for Oklahoma City. Six innings, two hits, two runs, both of them unearned, one walk, nine strikeouts. He threw 68 of his 96, 99 pitches rather for strikes. And he takes the ball tonight at Oklahoma City against Omaha, one of the lesser-known prospects in a system that has a ton of really good pitching talent. Um, but Cotton is coming. I mean, Urias, obviously, we've seen him graduate. Jose De Leon kind of came out of nowhere from where he was taken in the draft to his current prospect status. But keep an eye on Cotton. Don't sleep on him. Really, really good, talented arm. Uh, again, the right-hander out of East Carolina and a Virgin Islands-born prospect in the Dodgers system. He goes tonight for the Oklahoma City Dodgers against the Omaha Storm Chasers. And uh, that does it. That does it for uh, the final edition of the Show Before the Show podcast before the Major League All-Star break. Again, the Futures game is coming up on Sunday in San Diego and minor league action all throughout the weekend this weekend as well. Uh, some of your top prospects who you may be counting on seeing, the guys who are in the Futures game, you obviously won't see. They'll be traveling probably Saturday and then playing that game on Sunday. Uh, but that, again, is coming up this weekend in San Diego. Um, also... By the time we talk to you next, we'll have another All-Star game under the belt. The Eastern League All-Star game is coming up on July 13th. So have a bit of conversation about that next week as well. And uh, Sam, enjoy. Be a good officiant. I, I, will, I will do my best. Let's take so it one get, wedding at a time. Yeah, take. I, I, that's been my life motto. Stay within well, yourself. Yeah, stay, stay within myself. Just one line at a time. I'll try to uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not looking forward to anything else. Just helping out the team. That's all. <laughs> He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. He's on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. I am at Tyler Mon. You can tweet at us. You can tweet at Minor League Baseball as well at M-I-L-B. And you can get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com. And also, wherever you get your podcast, head on over there and give us a rating and a review and a subscription. We always love hearing from you. And uh, until next week, enjoy the Futures game and another weekend of Minor League Baseball. We'll talk to you then.